This is your spoiler warning. If you have not seen this movie and you do not want it spoiled for you, this is the time to turn it off. Beyond here, we are not responsible for your actions. And also... Second warning, we are not experts. We do not hold ourselves out to be experts, and these are our opinions. Well, actually... Well, actually... Well, actually... Well, actually... This is all the sports on screen with the Well Actually Sporting Club. Here's your hosts, Maria and Saski. Hello. Hi. I was about to start this with welcome back to our channel because we've all seen those videos, but this is not a channel. We are not welcoming you back to anything because this is the first time that we have done this. Woo. Go us. Yeah. Go team. <laughs> to give you some background, we are currently sitting on the ground between my bed and my excessively large open wardrobe so we can use all of the clothing and the pillow sounds to dampen this because we are super professional. It feels like we have our own little fort though, so I'm not liking it. Yeah, I kind of miss the idea of having a fort as a kid, like that kind of, you feel very like impenetrable hiding down here below absolutely everything. Exactly, yeah. I yeah. like it down here. It's, it's a very fancy setup that involves some Ikea furniture and us literally sitting on the ground. And if either of us or both of us, that we are very fancy. So this is pretty much how we roll. Yes, there is definitely a lot of flannel and, and pajamas going on here. But enough about telling you how fancy we are, which is a blatant lie. This is all the sports on screen. And we are a podcast talking about sports and women in sports and stories that aren't told in sports. So Maria, you want to give us a bit of a background on your kind of idea for this show. Yeah, essentially, I was just sitting thinking one day about all the movies that I like and how every time I watch a sports movie, I always wish that there was another one. And it's usually about women or minority groups or marginalized communities that you never see or you only see in a festival, which because I've dragged you to a whole bunch of them. Yeah. And you (laughs) Um, and I both, um, you and I have both worked at the Toronto Sports Film Festival, which is where we have seen some of the great documentaries that we're going to get a chance to discuss through this. But you're right. We only get exposed to a lot of these things when you are part of those niche communities, because you may not know where to go looking. You may not know that it exists. Or they may not exist on any major streaming platform and you have to not pirate them somehow. Yeah, Maria here is an expert on what you can find in the archives of library <laughs> streaming systems that I'm just not across. <laughs> but she's right, she has dragged me to numerous films at festivals and I will say that all of them have been incredible sports documentaries. We saw um, a couple years back we've seen Maiden which is an amazing story about sailing. We've seen Hurley which was an amazing uh, movie at the Inside Out Festival here which is about one of the first out racing drivers in the 80s and 90s and that uh, which was also an incredible thing but people don't really hear about them. Yeah, and so I think that's something that I think about, I would say, on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> We've had a lot of conversations um, about this and a lot of, like, rage text messages. Exactly, exactly. And I think out of COVID stir craziness, this idea was born of, like, everyone else is making a podcast right now. Yeah. I why don't I remember your pitch to me about this. We were <laughs> sitting in a car park <laughs> waiting for a train to put me back on a train to come to Toronto. And you were like, so we're 45 minutes early for the train. And I have an idea. 
And that's how this started. But it's not the kind of first thing that we have done. And we're, we're actually doing this under the kind of banner of a project that we have that exists in a few ways called the Well Actually Sporting Club, which is still my favorite name of anything that I have ever <laughs> named because the amount of people that miss the joke in it Mm -hmm. is spectacular yes and the amount of people that get the joke is very rewarding (laughs) definitely and I think that was something that was born over a Christmas holiday or something we were sitting in my living room and yeah just one of those random conversations we were having and I think there was a Formula One race on in the background as per usual um, yeah, and it wasn't even a current <laughs> Formula One race, because if no. it was Christmas, we were watching something that was seven years old, probably yeah, at this probably point. Canada 2011. Yeah, that was, that was basically what my, best, my bet was. <laughs> it just was born out of the conversation of how many times we've heard that phrase directed to us. Now, the big one that was our reference point <laughs> for this, I'm going to let you tell this story, because you were the person that I swore nearly killed this man in a bar. We went to the World Cup games here in in Toronto and we went Mm -hmm. to Germany playing Mexico. Maria is a big German football fan. She's brought me along because the Australian football team isn't winning anything anytime soon. So we go to this bar on a Sunday morning to watch what turned out to be Germany getting very soundly beaten. Yeah, the way it was set up was it was co-hosted, I think, by the Mexican and German consulates here in Toronto. So the fans of Team Mexico were all on one floor and then the fans of Team Germany were all up on second floor. But if you were Team Germany, you still had to walk through Team Mexico to get to the bathroom, which was a very poorly thought out plan. We got there with one of our friends and we were sitting at the bar and really I don't think that he knew what he was in for. I think he had watched sport with you at that point but maybe not both of us together. Anyway it started out fine. There was cheap mimosas and we were having a great great time. German sausage at 9am on a Sunday just Stella. I mean, that's one of my favorite things, so let's be real. (laughs) Anyway, got pretty busy in there and standing room only, as you can imagine. And there ended up being these two guys behind us, just came in, stood there, and they were not being obnoxious by any means. But one of them was wearing a Juventus jersey of an Argentinian player to a Germany versus Mexico game, which made no sense in any way. It was kind of our first, yeah, not red flag, but I would say that I definitely noticed it and was like, oh, as both of us have been to multiple sporting games. And you kind of wear who's there. Yeah, exactly. Or you wear a Leafs jersey and because there's always one yeah. in every crowd. Yes. Uh, so they were talking and I think the other guy was wearing a Toronto F- FC shirt, which fine. Yep, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's Toronto. They somehow got into talking about hockey after football. And I was just elbowing Saski very gently because usually her ears perk up around that time as well. And... It was about grassroots hockey and how great Team Canada was, and then something about how such great players like Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin, at which point I'm pretty sure I just yelled out, Alexander Ovechkin is not even Canadian. Yeah. I thought for a second that maybe we had misheard this person, who then seemed to just double down on this concept mm. that Alex Ovechkin wasn't Canadian. And you and I are like, w- what? Like, what is happening here? It was just this moment where we were like, this guy is so sure he's right. He just has this in his mind. But it was just such a glaring moment where we were like, really? And we didn't even get well actually in this moment because we've had that happen. I've been well actually, what do you know about the Leafs in a bar? After introducing myself to someone as... oblivion, basically. Yeah, (laughs) I've told someone that I was working at the Leafs and then had them well actually meet about this. So this event inspired this thing that we've tried to do, obviously 
obviously, there's a pandemic right now. It's a little bit hard to get people together. But we tried to organize nights at the same place, actually, mm-hmm. where this all this all happened, where we basically have got women together to watch sport. Generally, it's been hockey because that is a lot of what we know our community through and the timing often works quite well. But we have got women together as a large group, 20, 30 women. And it's just us watching sport. Everyone there is on the same page. Everyone is is into that kind of Sometimes thing. Sometimes people have their knitting with them, which is yep. totally great. And I will be one of those people next time yeah. we eventually do It's this. very much like you're getting to partake in sport in your way without any other needing it to be anything else. Yeah. And the majority of sports fans that we deal with, male, female, all of them, are great. They are great. They love sport and they love that you love sport. There's just a particular subset sometimes where it's a bit complicated. Yes. So that was our experience in that same bar, which we keep going back to. And I just realized <laughs> kind of off topic that we always sat in the Wolfpack corner. Yes. So I don't know what's uh, going to happen there. And that's very sad Side note, which is what we actually should touch on in This Week in Sport, which we will jump to as soon as I want to just get a bit of an introduction about what your background is. Because you are in this friendship. We are both <laughs> sports people, but I am the sports person. Literally, there is nothing you can put in front of me that I won't watch. I watch darts. Okay, let's just... There's everything. Maria, over here, is the movie person. My knowledge of movies has grown exponentially from moving to Toronto and our friendship because I have arguably garbage taste in movies. I love me a good rom-com. I'm all about the Netflix Christmas movies. I have a subscription to the Hallmark Channel. I'm unapologetic about it. And that's not even the Hallmark Channel on cable. That's having to pirate the app out of the US so you can get the movie subscription. Is that why I see all the different logins? Possibly. Yes. Possibly (laughs) it's that. So give us a bit of a, you're the movie person. What are movies to you? What is your background in that? Yeah, I love sports as well. But my career took a little bit of a turn when I moved to Toronto. And I started working for TIFF. Prior to that, I remember my first film class in university that I took as an elective. And being like, this is the worst class of my life. I'm supposed to sit here and watch these old movies and then talk about them. And that sounds terrible. And then... Yeah, it was terrible to start and it grew on me. And mm-hmm. But I put it to the back of my mind. And when I moved here and volunteered a couple years with TIFF and eventually got a position working for the festival full time, I started watching a lot of different things. And the idea that art and the medium of film can create social change mm-hmm. and change people's perspectives is really interesting to me. And I think that it's true. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into film, and obviously my interest in sport Mm -hmm. kind of coincide there, crossover, and really inform the choices of the types of movies and the different ones that I watch. And then you moved here, and I started dragging you, so... Yeah. We have some good rules of friendship, which is you've figured out what I won't watch and what I can't handle. So no one takes me to movies with aliens in them. There's no slasher fix, there's no horror films. We've got some very good guidelines set down now with that. So your background is in the movie side of things. For those who may not know either of our backgrounds, obviously my background is in sport. The best subject I took at university was the sociology of sport, which is the only subject I got to take that wasn't law and was the best of all of them. I've been involved in sport at both a grassroots, so working with governing bodies level through to professional sports with the NHL. I've worked with agencies. So I've kind of hit the whole spectrum of things. But I am 
a terribly optimistic, naive, hopeful sports fan. I'm very like, sports can change the world. Sports can do all these things. And I 100% realistically know everything Maria does say to me that is accurate about this is bad or this is bad or these things. I just sometimes electively choose to live in the alternate sporting universe, which is more like enjoyable to me. And I'm also very much like, go team. I'm really bad at picking a team, so I love everyone. I want everyone to do well. So I am an incredibly annoying sports fan to be friends with. But it's actually very helpful because if I like a team, I can usually shoehorn her into liking that same team. Oh, yeah. 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 So we've got the German national team. We've got Bayern Munich. (laughs) Yeah. We've done pretty well so far because I'm just like, cool, I'll adopt that. That's great. FC Com. FC Yeah. Get a (laughs) Tumblr account. Everything's going to, everything's going to convince us. So we're going to talk about two days of this episode's film, which is the iconic 1992 A League of Their Own. But this week in sport, we want to touch on something briefly that is not related to film, but 100% very close to our heart here in Toronto. Now, you and I, this was going to be our first season of being Wolfpack, so Toronto Wolfpack, Rugby League Club season ticket holders. We were hyped because we've been there for nearly every game for the last three years. We'd finally committed to it. We had a pandemic. The Wolfpack weren't able to play. Mm-hmm. And then they submitted an application to be able to return to the Super League for the 2021 season. And we found out after several rounds of going through this, not us personally, but the team, that their application was denied and there is no kind of backup plan, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. <clears throat> so, yeah, everyone's excitement and Hopes and dreams ended on yeah. Tuesday. and So the for those who may not be familiar, uh, the Wolfpack are one of the first transatlantic professional sports teams in the world, if not the first. They've been playing in the English competition for the last three seasons. First year they won their competition, they moved up. Second year they lost by two points in the last game. It was um, a bad game. And though. it was on Thanksgiving, I think, or Thanksgiving weekend, and your parents didn't really forgive us for leaving on <laughs> Thanksgiving weekend to go and see it and coming back. Then they came back the next year, which was last year. They won. They made it to the Super League. That was their goal. They've got that. They signed some great players for this year. Then, obviously, all of this happened, and because they weren't able to participate... Super League had the right to refuse their re-entry, which they have done, and they are now promoting a team that got demoted last year, I believe, to fill that spot. The interesting thing about this is when you look at it, it's very much a kind of social issues masquerading as business. You know, they're saying this is not beneficial to them short or long term or any of these things. But the reality, if it is, you're talking about a sport that's struggling in the UK for foothold against everything else. It is nowhere near the number one sport. The towns that it is playing in are smaller, are industrial, are struggling as well. The Toronto Wolfpack come in. They're this high-flying, big-money, such-and-such team, and they also incur this cost of having to then travel to Toronto, which Toronto does help subsidise, but Mm. it's very almost like a kind of classist thing with how this is unfolded. Yeah, totally. And I think like you touched on a very interesting point there of social issues masquerading as business because we get screamed at all of the time about like sports aren't political. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's 2020. (laughs) Everything is political. My clothing choices are political. Pretty much. For me, the whole intersection between film and sports Mm -hmm. and then also society and both of those mediums as well. Because when you think about it, sports is a competition, but it's also just another 
medium of yeah. entertainment for people to direct their enjoyment to. I talk about that often when I talk to people from a sports marketing perspective. Is if you were thinking about marketing your sports brand and your competitors are other sports, you're thinking about it wrong because your competitors are TV, are movies, are esports, are games, are every other entertainment option someone has that isn't watching sport. That's really where we are nowadays. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and just... They broke our hearts. Um, Definitely had a bit of a sook. Sonny Bill Williams never played a home game here, and I'm very sad. Yes. I definitely didn't believe that Sonny Bill was ever coming here, and I was like, whatever. And Marianne got so much joy the day she got to be like, look, I was right. <sighs> I was like, oh, wow. I don't know if she's more excited about that he's coming or that she gets to be smug about being correct. Well, I being 50/50. smug happens a little more often. Yes, so. true, true, fair. <laughs> it was fair. probably Sonny Bill on that day. So we picked... For this one, we, we went through this kind of process when we've been thinking about this show, about what we want to talk about and that kind of idea of balancing both movies that are really a lot more accessible to people with some of these documentaries that we do want to introduce people to. Because for everyone that we want to tell you about this amazing women's football in Libya documentary, which is called Freedom Fields, we will talk about that later in, in the season, or I think our next show we want to talk about Forever Pure, which is a female-led or directed documentary about racism between Muslim and Jewish communities in Jerusalem. Yeah. Which is horrifying, is brilliant, all of those things. But we figured we needed to give it some balance. Definitely. Yeah. As much as we want to highlight stories that aren't as available to people, we do recognize that there is a lot of good content out there that is more readily accessible Mm -hmm. and that maybe people haven't thought of in this way. Or they have and they thought, I'm the only one that must see it like this. So we figured we would start with the absolutely iconic 1992 classic A League of Their Own. So if you haven't seen A League of Their Own, and both you and I discovered during this process that we were pretty sure we hadn't. Correct. Like I had not seen it. I thought I had because I knew a lot of the iconic scenes, but I definitely had not seen this. <laughs> also because I was three and you were probably five or six when this came out. We didn't see it the first time around. Plus I grew up in South America. She grew up in South America. <laughs> I grew up in a str- country, Australia. <laughs> Some of these things don't quite, like, we didn't, get, we didn't have much of a blockbuster video going exactly. on. Exactly, yeah. yeah and like I don't that. think you had one in Paraguay no, going no, on. No, 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 no. So if you haven't seen it, um, and as we said, not everyone has, League of Their Own is based on the true story of the All-American Girls uh, Professional Baseball League, which is still almost better than anything we have nowadays in a lot of ways, at least in baseball. We do have the WNBA, they have the NWSL, but it, it's such a it's a weird thing to be thinking that this was actually a thing that existed in the 40s. Yeah, definitely for the time period, just thinking about what was going on in the world during yep. that time. Yeah. It- and that's that's kind of how it came about. This is World War Two. All of the young athletic men have gone off to war. The baseball players have gone to war. Professional baseball is on hold. And so there's this like gap where there's nothing happening and people are people. They're like, we want to make some money. How can we fill this gap? And so it's actually founded by the guy who has the Wrigley's Gum Company, right? And Wrigley Field in Chicago. This movie, he's slightly different, but it's based on our two sisters, which are Dottie Hinson and her sister Kit Keller. And so Dottie Hinson is played by the amazing Gina Davis, who we will talk about because she is amazing and a feminist icon in both this movie and other things. Yes, exactly. Basically, it's their journey to and through the league. They talk about their grumpy coach, who's Tom Hanks. And it's so well-known and iconic that the Library of Congress is preserving it as culturally significant. 
Yeah, I found that as a really interesting fact as well, because I, again, I didn't know a lot about this movie um, when we picked it and then when I watched it. But yeah, I found it very interesting that the Library of Congress has selected this as like culturally, historically, Mm -hmm. or aesthetically significant. On the other hand, I wish that they would see like the actual sport of women's baseball is significant. Yes. Which has nothing to do with the Library of Congress, but you know what I mean. But 100%, (laughs) no, completely. It's like, this is valuable in the film form. And we do see the idea of how it was valuable during this time and then war changed and things happened and and that also shifted but I think one of the other reasons this became really iconic or is important for something like the Library of Congress is this was directed by a woman starring a bunch of women about women and this is 1992 this is a very rare combination let alone one that in current dollars brings in over 200 million like that's a I think for a lot of people in 1992 this was very entry-level feminism. Totally. Even for me, watching it now, there's people in there that I was like, oh my gosh, Tia Leone is in this. There's so many people that I yeah. didn't realize. And yeah, just that considering how hard people are still fighting for mm-hmm. any sort of representation in the film industry, both in front of the camera yep. and behind it. For 1992, I feel like this was a pretty big deal. Yeah. And for the audience that it was probably pitching to, it was probably one of the first times that they were getting to see films where women were so talented and passionate and capable and all of these things, and it was absolutely fine, in a sense. The Women's World Cup had started the year before. So, uh, the like US women's team is like seven years away from winning a World Cup. The WNBA doesn't exist. The NWSL doesn't exist. There's no women's sport other than maybe tennis and figure skating doesn't really exist at this point. <laughs> Yeah, and just touching on the money, I know you mentioned that this made, it did break the $100 million line at the box office, and Penny Marshall became the first woman in history to direct two movies that grossed so much money. Her other film that made that much was um, the film Big, which also Mm -hmm. features Tom Hanks. So yeah, just a very very significant piece all around. I do have to mention she directed Big and also Cinderella Man and the reason I'm mentioning that is because it features your favorite Russell (laughs) Crowe. I believe that's the one where he sold parts of it in his divorce proceedings and John Oliver (laughs) bought it and it it ended up involving a chlamydia award for koalas (laughs) somewhere in Australia. Like It devolved very rapidly from there. Now, we're going to talk about, and the kind of point of this is to touch on the different themes and the different things that sit underneath the narrative of the movie. Because there obviously is, here is the story, and then here is all of the things that influence it. But before we dig into that, I want to talk about Gina Davis. Because she's a badass. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Just start us off. Yeah, I was like, uh, so if, if, obviously you may know Gina Davis from her work in this movie and a bunch of other things. My personal favourite is a one-season TV show called Commander-in-Chief where she becomes the first (laughs) female president and I loved that. I loved it so much that I watched it the other week instead of watching the actual election because I liked that world better. But Gina Davis took up archery at 41 and within two and a half years nearly made the US Olympic team. Got to the semi-finals of the trials. She's a member of Mensa. She's worked with the UN. And then she saw all of this and was like, oh, there's no women in any of these things. There's no women on TV, like, and I'm going to do something about it. So she founded this, the it's called the Gina Davis Institute of Gender and Media. And from that, she also has founded a female-led film festival, which highlights work by women and has a, a massive reputation for that. So basically, she spent the last decade funding studies on women in 
family and kids media or speaking roles of women in um, these things or the amount of women in the workforce in the film industry. Like, Yeah, and I think all of those things and a lot of that I didn't know before we started going through this stuff. I think a lot of that is so important, especially because we're in an age of like performance activism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's the real deal. Yeah, she's the real deal. She's done the work. And while I'm sure not everything is 100% perfect, she's been doing the work. And it's not just she's been doing the work before it was convenient to do the work. Exactly. And before there was, I would say more of a highlight on this, like just one of those people that's laying the groundwork. The groundwork yeah. and the foundation. And also, I did not know she took up archery at 41. Yeah. That's she's like, and then amazing. I got super, she's like, I got super obsessed with it. And then I nearly <laughs> made the US Olympic team and then I just chilled out. And I was like, wow. Okay, you clearly had the ability to just get super into archery for like nearly three years. But also, because I knew she had done archery because I had seen stuff about it. But I wasn't sure like where she had got to it. I knew it was involved with things. But yeah, that's, and, and the US team. Yeah. She didn't go and join, try and join the Australian team. Uh, we may be good about at it. I don't actually know, to be fair. Uh, I'm assuming the US are reasonably good at it um, as well. But, yeah, she's just she's had so much to say about this movie and the kind of role she played and, and leaning into it and all of those kind of things, which were just probably a lot ahead of their time because she, she did stand out. She said it was one of the first pieces of film work she did where she wasn't made to feel ashamed of how big she was, how tall she was, how strong she was in that sense. Like, she got to own that for once. Definitely. And, like, when you think of other people that are similar, like Gwendolyn Christie, yeah. there's still not that many super, like, tall... I, buff, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Actors. And if they are, it's because they're in an action movie and that's what it's specified at. It's not a character in general. And they're not painted as being able to be feminine or whatever the character calls for, again, unless it's outside of that more Mm -hmm. athletic or almost masculine type of role. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's amazing and very interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, no. (laughs) She's great. So... The film in general, straight up, don't overthink it, don't think the messages. What did you find? What did you think of it? I liked it. Yeah, it was a feel-good movie for yep. sure, which I also felt, though, was a little misleading that it is a feel-good film just simply because of the subject matter and the way that it ties it up yeah. at the end. But, yeah, there was quite a few things, uh, a few moments in there that I liked. Like, the first part when the music popped up, it was like Hans Zimmer. And I was like, oh, check. Yeah, for those who don't know, which is probably everyone but me listening to this, um, Maria loves Hans Zimmer with a passion that is ridiculous to the point that several years ago I did take her to see Hans Zimmer and his orchestra here in Toronto. And I don't think I've ever seen her as excited as being like, oh, hey, I've got tickets to this thing. (laughs) But I've been avoiding getting tickets to. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty great. It was very good. That was a highlight for me. And then also when Bill Pullman popped up as Dottie's husband. Love of him too so yeah I'm like I have no idea who that is <laughs> he's the president in Independence Day that gives the speech I'm gonna be fair I know I've seen Independence Day and I remember like, Will Smith bits of it oh, no. but I'd be like sure he's the president okay cool this is like 75% of our conversations yeah it really is and then it um, just ends with I, me giving her a dirty look yeah I do have a bit of a Swiss cheese memory for some things or a lot of things <laughs> film especially so you, you touched on the idea that this film had such a feel-good story, but it can be misleading because it does have some really great broad messages. It has that women can do anything. Women are more than just domestic people. Like, female friendship is important. You know, getting to choose what you want to do is important. 
but those are very broad messages that you would take on if you weren't really thinking about some of the parts of it, like how it sits. Yeah, definitely. And I think it really hit me at the end when they're at the Hall of Fame ceremony. And without the casual viewer, might it might lead you to think that, oh, this is all solved. And so surely there must be like women's professional leagues and yeah. everything like that now today because these amazing these were the athletes yeah, founded this and laid all of that groundwork when, as we both know, the reality is not. Yeah, like, I think it was maybe they got seven years maybe mm-hmm. out of it. I know I read a few articles about people who joined the league after the the war or after these times and that, and they, you're like, oh, I played three seasons or four seasons, but, you know, by the early 50s, this was gone. This didn't exist. Nothing really exists in its stead. I did find interesting, as far as the accuracy of the retelling of things, that the uniforms are very accurate. Mm-hmm. And I had assumed that maybe that was a bit of a send-up for the movie and I should have thought that through more because if you think about it it isn't going to be of course yeah and I think there's a lot of things where you're like surely that couldn't be the case and then you realize that no it actually it actually was the case well and so so that leads us into one of the big kind of I guess undercurrents to the movie that isn't really talked about but is such a a large thread through it which is that they try really hard or they women are allowed to participate in sport in this women are allowed to be athletes but it's very we have this concept of what women should look like so we're trying to push women into being an athlete in that bounds they have these ideas that they are beautiful and virtuous and all of these things and so you need to do both of them at the same time it's that idea of making feminizing it to make it palatable to people that women are participating in this yes definitely and i think that whole scene with that was supposed to be funny with the charm school yes Um, which is a real thing that happened they got sent to charm school yeah, exactly. And like the woman going through looking at all of like their appearances and like judging them that way as well. And then yep. she gets to the one character, Marla. And I don't remember exactly what she says, but. What do you yeah. recommend? Night, a lot of night games. Yeah. So, I mean, there's that whole. And then because that's Marla's character is a running joke with that idea that she's not pretty throughout yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's again, like you said, they're allowed agency, but only within a very specific space. Yeah. And that is because the men have gone off to war. It's this kind of idea that there's, like, this feminizing code that, like, it allows them to still uphold the difference between men and masculinity and power and then this female participation. It's also very jarring when in the first first scenes where the scout comes to talk to them where he's, no, he only wants her, he doesn't want the sister, he wants girls who are easy on the eye. Like, he doesn't want her, she isn't pretty. And that's very, oh, I know people do that, but that's very blunt yes yeah and then with that kind of in mind the policies and the different things like the charm school i was reading an article that mentioned that they were also like those things were put in place to also prevent them from being seen as lesbians as well and yeah from working in women's sport you know yeah everyone yeah there's it's it's such a it's such a it's, it's such a funny thing in the sense that we always think that discrimination particularly when it comes to women's sports and lgbt issues is people discriminating against people for being lesbians which is a hundred percent 
an, an aspect of things that happen. But at the same time, there is also an aspect which is that concept that people are um, discriminating against the sport because they assume everyone is and they have these negative connotations about what that means and what, like, I've had someone tell me before that I was great, but they didn't, like, they didn't um, want their daughter to play hockey because they didn't want her to end up like like me. And I was like, I don't know what you mean because I'm definitely dating one of your teammates. <laughs> but sure, okay. Like, they did continue to elaborate on that. And it was not, it was not accurate. And it was also not at all correct. But that's kind of the idea that leads into these things. People don't want girls and women to participate in them because it takes them away from this idea of what feminine should be and it puts them in that middle ground between male and female in people's minds. Yeah, which was so important. And again, like you mentioned, the uniforms and then also the different... There was one montage during the movie where they were being seen, like, building up their spectators and getting more yep. people in. Like, the whole sign of, catch a foul, get a kiss. Yep. And trade in oven mitts for baseball mitts. And, like, that whole positioning of this is marketed towards men, essentially, yep. as these cute girls running around in skirts, mm -hmm. doing the splits and, like, sliding or whatever, all while hopefully wearing a full face of makeup and and I think that still exists today. Well, I think it, it does in some aspects. I think it does in a lot of the external cultural sense. Mm -hmm. I think from women's sports teams itself, I don't think it does anymore because no. women's sports teams marketing nowadays centers almost sometimes detrimentally solely on the young female, young girl, mum demographic of a lot of things, which I can say from years working at the CWHL and with women's football, that is, you know, a thing we focused on because it is a very easy entry level kind of thing. So it is the kind of opposite end of that, but like brands and the media as an external property, a hundred percent still very much about this. And you do see a lot of athletes nowadays who know this and use it to their advantage. We definitely know hockey players and footballers who are female who are using this to their advantage and, and to be fair, good on them. Yes. But, like, work with what the system is giving you at that point. But it still is a very real thing. Yeah, and I think there was one line in the movie that really came across, painted that picture for me, was when the character of Ira Lowenstein was talking about that newspaper article mm -hmm. that he wants Dottie to do, and they wondered, like, why not some of the other players? And he had to explain, well, the league is in trouble because we don't really have anyone coming out to watch the games. So no, I forget if he says no product no oh yeah no no product no something yeah basically no product no profit yes so yeah that idea that if people don't want to see what they have that they don't consider it a product if he doesn't have something to show something attractive yeah. he doesn't have money and the the unfortunate part of that is he's not wrong <laughs> like he isn't wrong that is the paradigm any sport lives in but women's sport in particular is that sometimes it is you don't want to do this but that is what is the only thing that's going to work and you have to work within that guise because you can't change society right now today you know which sucks and you know that because you've listened to me be <laughs> mad about this so so many times i think that's a big part of our friendship is just one of us being mad to the other one about something yeah yeah generally sport <laughs> or something like that i think one of the other kind of the points, and not so much a point from the movie, but more or a theme, but more just the the kind of concept that came through it is 
it was a really radical notion, this idea that in the 40s, that these women were athletes, and even showing it in 1992. Like, like we don't have sport. We have sports, and we have women's sport. We don't have the World Cup. We have the World Cup, and we have the Women's World Cup. Female athletes exist in a space they've tried to build between a male and female and all of these things. And we don't assign the attributes of fem- of, of like athletes to women because they are strong and competitive and all these things that we don't. This kind of touched on that idea, though, that they could be these things. And so even though it did layer that part of how important their looks were, it still did give us that. It did. Yeah. And I think one of the scenes that kind of did that show their agency really is like them sneaking out to Mm -hmm. go to the bar, I guess, or club, I guess it would have been in those days. But it was also interesting to me because they also like the character of Dottie Mm -hmm. functioned as still the moral compass throughout the film. Yes. Of like, she's very righteous. You can have fun, but just not too much fun. Don't be super impure. Yeah. And there's that's with air yeah. quotes around it. And in the original cut, it's four hours, the original like yeah. cut. And there's a lot of scenes that are like that about Dottie and May and all of those kind of positions about virtue and purity and how far and what they do and being married and unmarried and all of those kind of things, which obviously you can't fit into a two hour film. No. But one of the things I did really was going along that was the fact that they cut out the romantic storyline between her and Tom Hanks. Oh, because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And and the director didn't want it either. No. And even though they shot some scenes, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't make sense with the romantic interest, love interest, whatever that type of thing, the fact that she was able to put her foot down and decide, no, this does not make sense for this film. It doesn't add to the film. No, it doesn't add to the film. And it also, if she's talking about her husband the whole time, and then suddenly Tom Hanks is there. I mean, Tom Hanks is great, don't get me wrong. But but the story itself is, yeah, if she was the moral compass, that type of liaison also doesn't make sense. It it makes me think of, now I'm not 100% sure on my pronunciation of this, but Bechdel? The test, yes, so it's like the test. Is there a scene where two women talk to each other about something that isn't meant? This obviously passes that completely, but it makes me think of that idea that we here is a story with a bunch of women in it, and at no point is the story about any of them falling in love with other. Like in the main sense, there's no love story in it. There's no romantic this and that, and that's great because how many movies do we see? cast entirely by men that have none of that in it either yeah it's okay there's women someone has to fall in love yes exactly because that's all there's a main purpose in life apparently yeah Yeah. i mean that's (laughs) that's where we're at the films where there isn't that type of thing still that are written by women and directed by women like birds of prey i can think of is another example of that those are always the ones that like dudes complain about the most yep and not all dudes don't get me wrong but you know, a good portion of them are like, well, this isn't realistic or this would never happen. And you're like, well, how would you know? There is an interesting point in that when you said cast by women, female centric, female director, the sport itself that is in it, the kind of sport is the ideology that of this sport is still very male. So it is very led by women, cast by women, about women, and it supports still this male-centric ideology of what actually is sport, which is probably something that's you're building this movie within those constraints because that is 
that is what you have to work with. But it's still an interesting thing to think about in having to move in that space, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, although, like you said, it is led by women, a story that is centered around women, that the focal point, one of the focal points is still men. Mm -hmm. And even though they're not physically necessarily in all of the It's the relationship to them as the viewer. Exactly. Yeah. The gays. And like the league was created because the men went off to war. Mm -hmm. Um, And the men wanted something to watch. Yes. And what does this mean for baseball? And so like the scene, the black and white scenes in Mm -hmm. the beginning of all of the famous ballplayers. Yeah. The the Yankees. Yeah. The Red Red Sox and and all of that stuff. And then women were left to fill in. And that includes like other jobs, like Mm -hmm. industry jobs, factory jobs. And then also like, why not baseball too? And there were some good parts in this about the kind of idea that these women were disposable, in a sense, because you think about these roles they stepped into, not just here, that kind of idea of Rosie the Riveter, and it was really pushed during that time. And you see towards the end of the movie when he's saying, well, look, we don't need them anymore, fortunately, you know, we're winning the war, the guys are going to come back. And you see the guy, I think it's Ira, I believe his mm-hmm. name was, um, realize that they're just going to get rid of these women. And he's built this thing, but I think he's also a little like... you. He's more upset, it seems, that they're about to do these to these players versus this league. He doesn't have a financial stake in it. Like, yeah. But there is that scene where he turns around and he's like, this is what's going to happen the factories too. Like, the men are back, Rosie. Like, turn in your riveters. We told you to be patriotic. We told you to get out of the kitchen and go to work and do all of these things and help the country. And now that the men are back, you can go back there. That's it. You can go back. Yeah. And it's very much like there's no room for girls' baseball in this country once the world, the war is over. These men went to war and they came back to these independent women with free thought and all of this. And it changed. But at the same time, the 50s happened and they pushed very much back in a lot of ways as a reaction. Yeah, definitely. And I think there was a couple moments in the film where that it didn't explicitly state that it was related to war but there were a few scenes that a couple of them that stood out for me when Marla was leaving home at the train station with her father it was very reminiscent of a soldier leaving on the train to go off to war Mm -hmm. and like the American flag is flowing in the breeze in the background and then the train the picture of the train carrying all of the people through which was also a big like Americana touch point there was a lot of that in this film as well (laughs) there was a lot about the idea of baseball being America and the American identity in this. Yes, 100%. And then again, with the scene where they all live in that, I'm assuming it was like a boarding house or a hotel type thing, the mail coming to the house and the mailman comes and they're like, one girl gets the mail and then they're all like, anything for me? Like that type of thing. And that I was like, oh, that's very similar to soldiers getting mail in the camp and hoping for like a letter for them. So uh, there was also like those subtle layers Mm -hmm. of reminding the viewer about the war and mirroring that without explicitly stating it, which I thought was very interesting too, so. Yes, and and you said a lot of Americana, a lot of very American, this is good and wholesome and patriotic entertainment and it's America's favorite pastime. And I think there's also a bit of a touch point in that with the idea that this is America's pastime and it's our game and it's our identity and that, and these women might actually be a little bit of a threat to that because it's, they're not masculine. They're disturbing what it means in a sense. They're not thinking they're going to take over, but it's a bit of a it's a bit of a disruption in the force. Yes, totally. And <laughs> I, think, I can't think of anything better than a Star Wars. I think Wars that's reference. a perfect way to sum it up. And again, like with the emotions coming into it too. Obviously, women have different emotions than men. I have um, all the emotions. <laughs> yes, I am aware. But we balance each other out pretty yes. well. Yes. <laughs> 
And I cry a scene, lot, and you're a sociopath. That's the, a joke. <laughs> for the most the part. The no crying <laughs> in baseball scene, which would totally be your character, by the way. Oh, crying. 100%. And I think, like, even... I 100% have cried while being yelled at a coach, I'm sure. Well, but I had a goalie helmet, so no one could really see. Oh, that yeah, just hide it behind. You're yeah. like, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm fine. just sweating really badly from my face. <laughs> Where Tom Hanks's character yells at the player, and then she cries. And it's like no three cheers for casual misogyny. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, still today, though, we also see that in the game of baseball, people mm. still get so mad when players emotion. show emotion. Yeah. And I think a prime example of that as any Torontonian will know, is Jose Bautista's bat flip. Yeah. People still lose their minds over that and talk about how it's not proper. And I'm like, if men... It's not part of the game. It's not part of the game. There's no room in the game for that. And I'm like, if men have no option to show emotions, like, women really have no... Like, they're left with no option. Even, like, it's, like, negative option, basically, at that point. I think of so many times in, in this kind of that scene with how many times you can think of that essentially being repeated not only just the line because 100 percent that's been used a lot but that idea has been used over and over again by like manipulative coaches to push you back down to put you in that space because they don't want to deal with it they don't understand they they don't view that as part of it and that is such a very like touch point kind of scene for like here and you're like oh it's funny and it is funny if you view it entirely without thinking of what it means and what it represents, which is what we have Hallmark movies for. I mean, no, you should really think some of them through because they just make no sense. <laughs> but, like, you, you, that this is such an indication of things. And maybe not something that people thought about a lot back then, but, you know, just because you haven't thought about it doesn't mean it's not the underpinning thing for a whole bunch of things you just haven't realised yet. Yeah, 100%. So something else that is is very obvious in this movie and is also a product of the times and all of these things is this movie is incredibly white yes i think on my two viewings i might have seen one maybe two scenes where i actually saw black people in Mm -hmm. the frame (laughs) and again understandably it was a product of its time not only the time period it was set in but Mm -hmm. also when it was released as well so for context Jackie Robinson doesn't break the color bar- barrier in the MLB for four years after which this is set. So he did that in 1947, and this is set in 43. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, of they haven't even broken through that barrier yet, let alone women's baseball. Yeah, and it's interesting to know. I was reading one of a great article about this film that we'll uh, link in the show notes as well, just about how even though it wasn't explicitly stated in the film, black women were actually not welcome in this Mm -hmm. league, which probably is not surprising to anyone considering the time. Yeah, no, yeah. And the scene... And the fact that it's the Midwest. Yes. In the 1940s. Also that, the scene where you see the black woman throw that ball Mm -hmm. back to the catcher is that character is supposedly modeled after uh, Mamie Peanut Johnson. And apparently she actually showed up to tryouts for this league, but was told to leave because she was black. And so again, like going back to what you said, Mm. this movie was very white. I don't think maybe that was as intentional to leave that type of character out. It is representative of the league itself at that time. Yes, which is a problem in its own right. 100%. But yeah, it wasn't like... It's not inaccurate, it's just 
very shitty too. Yes. And the same article I was reading mentioned that Negro Leagues, as they call them, did exist and that the first professional women's baseball team in the country was actually the all-black Dolly Vardens, they were called. And they were created in the 1880s. So, I mean, that is well before yeah, this was it's even well said. Before, yeah. And again, it's like that whole theme coming back to of like black women doing the work. Yeah. Basically before a lot of other of yeah. us even woke up to anything. And I think the thing with this, the idea in this is, not even the idea, but the the reality of this is they're talking about they're not welcome. There isn't a place for them on this team. But we're also talking 1943. There is no place on this team because we haven't yet even given them a place with equal rights, let alone before you're looking at gender or the civil rights movement haven't happened. Any of that hasn't happened. So the idea of breaking into women's baseball is as a from a gender perspective is so far behind such a list of other things that were problematic at that time too yeah definitely and i think the other thing that i noticed more specifically as we talked about the charm school and how certain policies were put in to prevent players from being perceived as lesbians mm-hmm. like there was no storylines and that also touched on maybe that also being mm-hmm. a thing between a couple of characters even maybe not amongst each other but just like one of them yeah, that's what we have Having, fan fiction for now. Yeah, another love interest like outside or yep. that type of thing that I would say like the closest that we get is the scene with Rosie O'Donnell talking about her boyfriend mm-hmm. and how terrible he is, but he's basically the only option because everyone else basically views her as like this weird person or like yeah. outcast. And that was because she was really good at playing baseball. Mm-hmm. Whether anything else factored into them viewing her that way, I don't know. That's not stated in the film, but that was another thing that I found interesting also from a lack of representation and, again, the product of its time, I guess. Mm. I think there is, maybe not from from this movie, but that from thinking about women's sport, the way that we talk about our women's sport and women athletes are often depicted in these things is very much the same way that we often depict the LGBT athlete, the homosexual athlete, because it has this idea that undermines what we view our sporting heroes as. We have this kind of idea of this, like, like hegemonic masculinity kind of thing that man is this, it's this and this, and male athletes are that, and women question that, and LGBT athletes question that. And so the way that we depict them in a lot of these things have such, like, similar threads through that kind of process. I feel like I was reading the notes of the like larger cut and it said there was something that was maybe along those lines, but I have read a lot of notes lately on things, so <laughs> I may have been completely mixing uh, myself up. I mean, it very could well be. And if the original cut of the film was four hours, four hours that's yeah. like the length of a Marvel. Actually, that's longer than some Marvel movies. And What's I, Titanic? I don't know. I haven't seen Titanic. Oh, it's long. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the runtime of it, but, but it's, it's very long. It's a decent length. Yeah. Film. yeah. yeah. It's two Lord of the Rings movies or one and a half Lord of the Rings movies. Yes. Because they're, they're quite long. It's extended edition. <laughs> I think, to wrap us up, I think the overarching theme that we get from this in all its ways that all feed in together is really this is where women at this time are positioned in society. This is their role. This is how we see them. This is what we value in them. It's very, you're getting married, you're doing this, you're looking after your husband, you're a good wife, you're these things. There is that ad later on it where they uh, talk about such and such as an accomplished, like, coffee maker. Betty likes knitting. There's no excuse for not powdering your nose. Like, 
plays like Lou Gehrig and looks like Greta Garber. You're like, oh, or, like, it's that very idea of, oh, we've broken a stereotype and we're using it to reinforce a stereotype. Yes, very much so. Yeah, just that whole, I guess, balance, imbalance mm-hmm. between athlete and femininity is, yeah, a big thing in this film. I think um the, the most egregious, the most egregious part of it, and I think even in all of them where you were like, what is that cut in that is the montage of them all like working out and playing and catching like trying out and there's that lady doing the PSA over the top of it who is like higher education is masculine is leading to the masculinization of women with dangerous consequences and it's basically just it's bad for the home the children the country and when our boys come home from war like what are they going to come home to and these like now the most disgusting ex- I think this was the line that made me think of the, na- the most disgusting example of this sexual confusion women's baseball <laughs> young young girls are plucked from their families and they're competing to see who can be the most masculine I was like they're wearing skirts. Yeah, they're wearing skirts. <laughs> like, they like, went to charm school. They went to charm school. Um, like, yeah. they're sliding feet first into base so that people get a better view. Yes. This is not, you know... It's not quite as bad as you think, as you yeah, think it is. Yeah, but it, oh. it is that idea of this is the thing that kind of... But the thing is also, that idea hasn't disappeared. No, not at all. And I think that... It's morphed it's into morphed. mummy bloggers. Oh, God. I'm not wrong. No, not at all. <laughs> you just looked at me and I was like, but I'm not inaccurate here. Yeah, no, it's definitely morphed. And I think that it will probably see a new iteration of it in yeah. the next while. But it, there's a long way to go, a lot of work to do. Yes, I think that can be said for for everything that we see, we will watch during this season and, and following seasons, hopefully. It will be, this is great or this is good or I saw this and I'm, but... We're still a long way from where we want to be or, or where we should be going. Like, I'm thinking through the list of what we have, and I'm like, no, nope, <laughs> yeah. nope, nope, okay. Like, they, they are happy stories, some of them, because amazing things happened. But the reason they had to do amazing things is very, you did this amazing thing. Yes, you did, because you had to flee Pakistan because people were trying to shoot you for playing squash. Yes. You had to, you know did this amazing thing because you know you were in Libya and this happened you sailed around the world but you did to get away from something else like Mm -hmm. it's yeah we're going to talk about that a lot during this time amazing stories from amazing individuals but the reasonings as to why they had to do it they yeah the cultural contribution to it yeah is is very frustrating so I think basically the next several months is us going to be watching films and being like happy but also real mad at the same time I mean (laughs) Like, on the plus side, it is winter, or coming to winter, so we're not going anywhere outside because no. it's cold. And not on the plus side, but on the making the most of a bad situation, it is also a pandemic. So we can't really go anywhere either. So whilst at this recording, I can directly see you because we are both sitting on my floor. In the future, you will be off in another city and I will be here and we will be doing this remotely because hopefully I will figure out how to get Zoom to interject into this system. But yeah, we have a bit of time to watch some movies over the next while and some documentaries and we hope that you come back to listen to one of these because this is the first time that we have done this. Is this the first time you've done a podcast? It is, yeah. Yeah. I know it's not your first time. <laughs> yeah. I was will. like, this is like my I was like, this is like my fourth <laughs> show. Um, like let alone episode. I think I'm up to like several hundred at the moment. 
just so fancy. Not really. <laughs> Definitely not. All done in Garage Band. Almost. But yeah, put us on in the background. Listen. Yeah. Or actually listen to us. Yeah. Weird Prefer, please listen to us. I will tell you that my Australian accent is not great background listening because it does. You're like, that sounds weird. Oh. Well. You're used to it by now. I am used to it, but also there's. At least I can understand it. There are some other more thicker accents. True. The rest of my hometown. Yes. Or that video that you just made me watch before. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I will. If anyone is curious, the video is called Akmal in Rockhampton. And (laughs) it's, it's a wild ride through my very country, very racist, very homophobic, very conservative hometown in the middle of nowhere, Australia. It's like one of the top five most conservative places in the country which is an absurd concept so from the first episode Mm -hmm. of our show yes i am saski i'm maria and we hope you will join us next time